This is the Bushwick Variety Show, and I'm Alex Stevens III. Greetings, neighbors, friends, citizens of the world, and conscious beings of all various types. Thank you so much for listening to the Bushwick Variety Show. This is episode number 75. Episode 75 features MC Dialect. MC Dialect is a New York-based actor, MC, writer, uh, artist, extraordinaire, um, friend of mine. I know him from the music scene here in New York, uh, but also know him to be very active in the theater hip-hop scene. Uh, He has a new album out called The Museum of Dead Words, which is also part of a theater piece, which is going to be happening this weekend, September 21st, through next Friday, the 27th. That's at Art Apple NYC, which is at 1427 DeKalb Ave, Brooklyn, New York, right around the corner from the Rack Shack where we recorded this very conversation. Um, I really enjoyed talking to Dialect um, as he is an MC actor and just an all-around innovative artist with a vision and really cool thought. So without further ado, this is MC Dialect, and we're talking about his upcoming piece, which you can find on all music platforms right now, but you can see the live performance version of it this week, right here in Bushwick, the Museum of Dead Words. Let's have a conversation. Uh, so, Dialect. Yeah. How you doing? I'm good, man. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling good. Got a lot of good things going on. I'm rocking, doing my thing. I, I'm, I'm, I think I might be too busy to know if there's things not going good because we ain't got time for that. Yeah. Uh, busy's always good. Yeah, yeah. You, uh, you in that space too? Yeah. Um, like I had a really busy few months kind of from like March on. It was kind of like an acceleration um, projects and stuff like that. And then an intensive and then not as busy like as far as I didn't have as much on my plate I was still making myself busy but I kind of went down a little bit yeah. um and just last week I just got back into like um martial arts training because that kind of thing like making myself busy and like scheduling my time um makes me feel a lot better and makes me I feel more productive like when I do that. So. Well, and I think a lot of us creative folks and, and people who are like giving people, we don't make a lot of time for ourselves and for things like our health and well-being. I am right now in the middle of lots of business, like I was saying. I don't have time to know how I'm feeling. But I do know that I recently got a, <clears throat> recently got a gym membership so that I could make sure I made time for my health. And because I have not had a single second during gym hours – I haven't been there in like the past couple of weeks. So I feel you on that. I'm looking forward to, uh, after this next project, going to be shutting it down. Uh, my wife uh, is actually pregnant. Congratulations thank you, on thank that. Thank you. And we're going into our, like we're in our third trimester. And after this next thing, we're going to be shutting it down until baby time. Hopefully a little after that. Paternity leave is a thing. It should be. It is some places in the world. Man, actually. some places give you like, like uh, what is it? Germany is like a year and a half. Yeah, that's crazy. 18 months. Yeah. That's great. Like, I know um, Laura, she's from Amsterdam. Um, they have health care. They have uh, <laughs> funding for school. Uh, 
Yeah. They oh. have they have uh the good stuff. Yeah. Paternity like leave um for fathers too and stuff and like yeah. <laughs> what a world we live in where like that's a yo, can you believe they've got health care and paternity leave and stuff like that? Like it's yeah, it's, that yeah. should be requisite, right? Yeah. It's crazy. Um but you know, we it's up to us to make it what we want it want it to be. Most like nobody else is gonna do it. Yeah. Um sort of like life like uh like ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody else is gonna save us but us. Uh so yeah, we gotta <laughs> save ourselves. I'm with that. Um so yeah, so tell me about this upcoming project. Okay. The Museum of Dead Words. Yeah, the Museum of Dead Words. So this has been I've been working on this for a long time. This is one of those things where like as an artist I feel like you can relate where like you kind of stumble into it realizing that this is your life's work. This is the type of thing where about halfway through, I was like, I haven't just been doing this for as long as I've been focused on this. This is a culmination of a lot of things I've been doing for a long time. So to take it back to the genesis of this thing in particular, I realized I was having trouble talking with friends about a lot of these bold political topics that are coming up. And when I say political, I mean ones that are discussed largely in media. I should say cultural because, again, this project is about words. And I realized, in specific, I was having a lot of trouble talking to people about racism mm-hmm. because we didn't share the definition of the word. So it's not like we could even have an argument. Like, I love arguments, but we couldn't even have uh, a, an argument because it would devolve into semantics. So I was like, what's up with that? Why are we having these troubles? And I went and started researching Internet comments. I'd kind of been fascinated with Internet comments because, man, the stuff folks say behind the anonymity and your ability to just type stuff out. Uh, Also, you know, the typed word inspires less empathy than the spoken or handwritten word. So I thought that this would be a nice, like, control type of experiment. So I spent about a year looking at Internet comments. Sent me into, like, a deep depression. Sure. I mean, it was a whole mess. And what I found where there were a lot of words and phrases that made it so that it was impossible to go further. Fighting words, some would call it. Uh, you know, I remember uh, when I was a kid and I saw this fight between a homegirl of mine and some lady that she had a problem with. And they came out and the one lady said, bitch. And the other one said, bitch. And then the other one said, your mom is a bitch. And that was it. And they were fighting. And it was like this kind of thing, but you're seeing that digitally where, you know, some of it is curse words and stuff like that that trigger people. But other ones are ways that people are artfully getting out of having responsibility, making excuses, making enemies, making binaries. And I realized that these words are basically dead to us because we'll use them. And I'm not telling nobody because you know people ask all the time. It's like, uh, should I keep using this or should I stop? I'm not saying don't use the words. I'm not saying don't even love the words because some of these words are, are fantastic and interesting words. But just understand that folks don't really know what you mean and folks don't necessarily agree with you. So I dubbed these dead words. And after researching and just like looking around for words, I selected 11 of them and made my case where I did you know more targeted research. I made rap songs about how each word died built an album called My Museum of Dead Words. I put it up online and all that stuff, so it's available. People have been listening to it. And I've been traveling around the country 
doing these museum tours. And so the um, album is called The Museum of yes. Dead Words. The album is called The Museum of Dead Words. And the show itself is called The Museum of Dead Words. And it's a guided museum tour. So uh, I cap audiences around 25-ish so that we can have an intimate experience. And we go on a walking tour around different spaces. I've been in art galleries, restaurants, co-working spaces, warehouses. I've been trying out all sorts of different places to be able to put this up. The current place is Art Apple NYC, which is a new art gallery in Bushwick. It's really amazing. Uh, Crosby, who I've known for a really long time, he's an MC, and he, you might know him for the Crosby clockwork, the, uh, the clocks that he does. And he's got this great space where they do one-week art installations. And they have an opening party, they have their work up there for a week, and then the next thing comes in. And the whole idea is to give artists who haven't had the gallery experience the ability to get up in there. Since my thing is all about that, I figured it would be great. I'm also collaborating with a number of musical and visual artists. So each song that I've done, I've asked for different producers around the scene to make some remixes for me. Got some great stuff by guys like Magnet Hands and Willie Green, and Sid Suna, Broke MC, all sorts of like really dope uh, indie producers. And then I got a number of visual artists to paint their experience with these words that I've shared. And we're gonna be displaying those in the space. And some of these guys are more tenured artists, but a number of them are new artists where you know, I awesomely get to be introducing them to the space and collaborating on that tip. So we've got like 30-ish people involved and as well as we're gonna have, um, the show is going to be at Art Apple and you can come and check out the show in the evenings, um, 2 p.m. on Sunday and 7 p.m. Uh, all the other nights. And when I'm not performing, we're going to have the space open for you to check it out. There's a little selfie booth area where you can take pictures with some of the words and some of the stuff that's going on. And you can interact and share some of your views about if you think things are dead or if you want to move language and conversation on. And uh, so the panel discussions every night are going to be about different forms of communication. On Sunday, we've got food as communication, where I have a number of chefs coming through. I have some experts from the Racial Wealth Divide Initiative. This is the kind of thing where uh, if you've been paying attention to the Democratic presidential candidates, mm -hmm. everybody's been talking about like racial wealth divide, racial wealth gap. It's been a big buzzword. I work with the Racial Wealth Divide Initiative at Prosperity Now. Uh, Prosperity Now. I'm saying words wrongly. Prosperity. Oh, good. You know, uh, and also remix, N you know? right? Remixing and NCRC and all these awesome groups in DC that are basically uh, they're statisticians and uh, they're people who are put together the data about these things. So all of that is coming from these guys. So since I'm down with those folks, I do some podcasts and things with those guys, they're going to be coming on and talking about those things. I have some hip hop educators. We're basically just trying to get around all the different forms of communication and making it so that we can have a better understanding of each other. A lot of people like to say that my art is here to inspire communication. And I know ostensibly that's what art's purposes, but this one is very specific in that we are talking about the way that we communicate, the words that we use, and how we can make effective solutions on it. it that's interesting because um, for me, I was noticing like probably during 2016 and a little bit before that, like the whole that's Facebook started. Yeah. yeah, the whole like Facebook comments things mm -hmm. and me getting in into these big political debates sometimes um race debates oh, sometimes yeah. uh and then kind of and then also like sexism like there's like friend there's like a friend i can think of who uh she's 
a white feminist woman. Yeah. Um, and she's, I don't know if she's always been as much. Like, I feel like she's more new to that. Like, especially considering, considering Me Too and like recent current events. Like, I get right. that more people are aware of that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But um, the only reason I say it seems like she's a little bit more new to it is because me and my background, like I've been dealing actively with like race and racism. And s- s- since I've done that work, I've also done a lot on like interconnect intersectionalism mm-hmm. um, and becoming aware of like my own sexism and like as a man, even though I'm a black man and that like that whole kind con- like thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just remember there was something that she put up and it was about, it was about like that intersection and it was like, I think about like a black woman and, but like the whole thing was that woman's story was about how race, like it was like the most problematic thing, but of course being a woman, all those things, but it was like race, like the way she phrased it was like race first, as far as like what was the big detriment. Mm-hmm. And so I comment, we had like a back and forth and I comment and she's like, well, you don't know anything as a man. And it's like, this was actually not just about that. Like, you know what I mean? I do know about this other thing though, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so then getting frustrated with, yeah, we have these debates. We don't really hear each other mm-hmm. um, online. Right. Yeah. Whereas if we had that conversation in person, I think we, it can be more productive. Yes, exactly. Um, even if it's, even if we don't uh, agree mm-hmm. at the end, you know, even if we don't figure it all out, yep. we can still have respect for one another in person. We're more likely to than, than online, yeah. um, which then kind of led me to like, I was introduced to podcasting like somewhere around that time and mm. sort of wanted to start this as a way to like practice having conversations, um, you know, and I'd rather have, I haven't had like, I'm not going to have. I'm not going to like provide a platform for certain like for hate speech, mm-hmm. but I'm more than happy to like talk with somebody with completely different political views than me. Word, yeah. Well, you know, because those things, you know, uh, political itself is a really interesting word. And it's one of the ones with, that was definitely a candidate. I probably could have had a good 30 or so words, but then that would have been too big of a project. It's less about these words in specific and more about being aware of these kinds of things when we think about political. Right. So. Mm-hmm. When someone says, are we being political, do they mean that you are talking about a, uh, a policy? Does that mean that we are talking about a politician? Does it mean that you are saying something that is partisan, right, that like different sides of the political divide have feelings about? Or what it's often meant to uh, be when people are saying uh, this is political, is it something that is personal to you but not personal to me? Mm-hmm. Or is it like a larger cultural issue that we're talking about? All of those are different definitions of political that people will use at the same time in the same conversation. And they barely have anything to do with each other. So just from jump, if we're like, oh, we're going to talk about stuff being political now. Where are we? Yeah. And even like the whole thing, like, don't talk about you shouldn't talk about politics. Like, I always push back on that because right. by the broadest definition, most all human interaction is politics. Right. You know? 
Oh, right, because there's also, uh, an, I missed another definition, is the politics meaning the interpersonal relationships of how something makes up uh, anything. Yeah. You know, be like, oh, yeah, you know, I work for this theater company, and, you know, it's always politics, meaning that you have to make sure that the dramaturg likes you and that you get along with the receptionist and all that other stuff, which that doesn't relate to any of those other definitions. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's an open, so to bring back to this real oh, yeah. quick. Um, so the opening night is next, that's next Saturday. This, this Saturday. Comes. This Saturday. Yeah, this Saturday, the 21st. Saturday, the 21st. Okay. Uh, around uh, the, the Bushwick Open Studios weekend. I think we're on their digital flyer, but I don't know if we're on the, the printed out map. I didn't even realize that it was Bushwick Open Studios right now until like actually just earlier today. It, yeah. It, it sneaks up on you. Yeah. And also with the change, like a couple of years ago, because it used to be like yep. the Memorial Day, mm-hmm. like around then. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so yeah. So opening nights this Saturday, mm-hmm. and we're gonna be running until the Friday, the twenty seventh, and that'll be the closing night where we're gonna lay the words to rest and work on getting over it and moving on and you know getting better conversation about everything. And we'll be giving tours every night. Um, most uh, I think 2 p.m. on Sunday and the other evenings are going to be 7 p.m. And those will be followed by the panel discussions on Thursday. Instead of a panel discussion, me and my wife, you see awesome grammar here, too. Right. Uh, my wife and I will be doing a workshop, uh, an artist financial plan. It's a four part series that we've been doing at Art Apple. And this will be the final part of that that we'll be doing. And hopefully once we uh, get over all of those maternity and paternity leaves, we'll come back and do more of those workshops. That's been a really big part of what we're doing. And I think that's something I think a lot of us are finding that the finance part and the art part and even the education part need to work together. Mm-hmm. As a hip hop educator, I was always teaching people do without, you know, make, you know, make the the soup out of the couple of things you got in the fridge and, you know, build the stuff and all of that. But it's great to be able to make do with little, but we also need to be able to strive for more. We have this thing of like people are taught to survive rather than to thrive. And it's like, well, just get our heads above water. And once you get your head above water, just start treading water and you're okay. And that's not a sustainable thing. That means that if any single thing happens, we're back underwater again. Or when we're trying to build for future generations, we're kind of in the same place our parents were. And we're not able to build the generational wealth. That's another like buzzword that people are talking about that merits a lot of breaking down. Because generational wealth is really difficult to sustain. I just found a stat saying that 70% of families lose their wealth within one generation and 90% lose it within two generations. And what they attribute that to is a lack of communication within the family. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well... If I'm free that night, I'll definitely try to be there. Um, I think I'll be there on Tuesday also. Like, Ooh, yeah. my mental calendar tells me that I can be there on Tuesday. That sounds I good. I check my actual the mental calendar. calendar. I, I know how that is. Uh, my mental calendar versus the written. I very much will have to go by the written calendar. Tuesday is, oh, yeah, that's the digital literacy one. Yeah, we have some folks. Um, we talk about... You know, things like doxing and uh, the way that we share information, what we're vulnerable for. On the podcast my wife and I host called Brunch and Budget, we actually had some digital literacy folks come on and fish me and dox me. Not like for real, for real, 
they but sent, to show you what yeah they sent me the email and like I played along but it was a really official looking email and I feel like I might have got got even if it wasn't you know knowing to play along and the thing that was really fascinating wasn't just how much information they had on me and they had a lot of information on me but all of my peoples they found my wife like nothing they found my relatives they found old roommates and like addresses and stuff like that it's just amazing the wealth of information you could find on folks that's crazy. I mean, that's like kind of the new currency these days is information I mean, and well, attention. Yeah, I guess information was always kind of currency, but like these digital information, people are just selling spreadsheets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like that's <laughs> that's one way to really turn me off to like a candidate is like if I start receiving emails yes. from a candidate I've never heard mm-hmm. of and don't care about, like I'm just like. Why am I on your list? Mm-hmm. I definitely did not sign up. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that that's good politics either. Like to like, you know, if you want me to vote for you to like mm-hmm. buy my information from somebody else I did support. It's also not good for whoever I did support to yeah. sell my information. Like, you know. Yeah. And even if they, uh, it's like his homie and he's sharing it or their homie and they're ha- sharing it with. And it's like, that's still like, well, I didn't give you that permission yeah i didn't say i wanted to be contacted by you and hey i know cold calling is a thing and like people knocking on doors and i think it's like an extension of that but you know even that is pretty obtrusive yeah yeah um and they're scammers in that arena too well and i think that's one of the big things is like we would love to be more open to each other i'm you know island hippie guy and i would love to be like yeah the door is open come through chill let's have dinner together vibes and all that stuff the thing about stuff in society that i don't think people give enough credence to is that it's very easy to mess up a good vibe yeah you know like they say like one bad apple Mm -hmm. and all that but like they forget the rest of the phrase that one bad apple spoils the bunch yeah mean that the rest of us is screwed too just by one person it's like I really think capitalism doesn't have to be a bad thing. This is like kind of an unpopular opinion because people are ready to throw capitalism away. And I'm like, I'm with that. I feel you. But capitalism could be like I, I've attributed to like a hip hop cipher, you know, where I do something that inspires you, inspires them, inspires them. And together, collectively, we make something great. If we have the money circulating within a thing and I buy shoes from you and you buy food from me and we're all buying from each other and we're building wealth together, that's awesome. But all it takes is one person to stop the circle and hoard. Yep. Messes it all up. That's the whole problem right there. (laughs) Like it's not the, that's the problem. It's the hoarding of the resources um, and the opportunities. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't, it's greed. That's what that comes down to. When you were talking about though, the one bad apple and protecting the vibe, that's sort of a lesson I learned probably in my like early twenties about, uh, you have to protect your circle. Mm. Um, and also with that kind of the older I get, like I'll be open to people, but how much I will let a person in like close mm-hmm. depends on, I will observe like the people that they let into their circle. Yeah, Cause if they great. let too many, um, yeah, it's just a vibe. Mm-hmm. Like if they if they let people in that I don't vibe with and like that my spider sense is going up, mm-hmm. then I'm like, "All right, I have to I have to keep you just out just a little bit because I'm not judging like if that's who you want to roll with, mm-hmm. but if it's like 
people I don't want to roll with, then yeah, I have to have like some protection and distance between me and somebody who doesn't see that danger, you know? Yeah, because yeah, it's a safety thing. Yeah. And maybe you've developed a coping mechanism or you've got a relationship where it's not going to bite you, maybe. But I don't know nothing about that. I'm not part of that system. I don't have that like 20 years deep with you, so I know that guy ain't going to stand up in the back. No, let's, yeah, let's be chill about it. Yeah. I feel that. Yeah. Um, I was curious. Can you share what some of the words yeah, are? Yeah, yeah. Let me see. What's... What are some words I haven't uh, told a lot of people about? Uh, well, one that I think is really fun. Well, it's not that it's fun, but it's interesting is evil. Evil is a dead word. And evil is a word that, unlike some of the other words that uh, you even brought up some of them, sexism is one of my words too. Like a word like sexism, sexism was beaten down. Sexism was a great word that was describing a bad thing. And before we had the word, we had no way to describe what this bad thing that was happening was. And people have uh, made it so that it doesn't mean as much. You know, they created this two-way street. Maybe you're being sexist to me and all this other kind of stuff yeah. where they've diluted the meaning and weakened it. And, uh, but a word like evil, evil has always existed. And I say this in the show, too, as an excuse to treat someone else poorly. Because evil isn't really a, a sensible description. You realize it when you, because you know, evil exists in like art, right? Your uh, movies and comic books and stories like that. There will be an evil entity, and once it goes past, like the horror movies, right? The horror movie, the character is this unknowable evil, and then the sequel, they do a little backstory. And the backstory starts explaining why they do the things that they do. And suddenly, they're not an evil person. They're an abused person lashing out. They're a selfish person. They're a greedy person. And the thing that I think is the real point about it, because some people are like, well, so what? They're still doing bad stuff, so we should deal with them. Well, evil is not a thing you can deal with by any other form other than eradication. Mm -hmm. right? If something's evil, you just got to stamp it out. If someone is selfish, we can show another perspective. If someone is hurt and lashing out, then we can deal with that. And I think that it's so much more effective to find the actual issues that we have with each other rather than simply creating these binaries. You know, we've got enough binaries that already exist in the world for us to be adding more and placing these kind of unnecessary excuse-laden labels on folks. So that's one that I thought was really interesting. I expected to get words like guarantee and stuff like that, advertising words. And those words kind of did die. But the thing about those words is that they're dead and no one is messing with them. No one is when they see a sign that says guaranteed good time or a so and so percent off sale. We get what that is. We understand that game. The thing that's more insidious and pervasive and going on like very much in the Internet world is these words that are used as labels and these words that talk about groups and create these binaries, these are the ones that we're not able to get over. The problem with these dead words aren't that they're dead. It's that they're dead and they're still shambling along. They're these like zombie words. Mm -hmm. And that's what's messing up everything. Got you. Uh, when you say evil, it makes me think, though, of my favorite use of that word Ooh. is uh, Stevie Wonder's song, Evil. Oh. Um, but that's an interesting song because... It's a sad song, but it's sort of a love song to evil, mm -hmm. like questioning evil why why it's 
doing what it's doing. Yeah, which I mean, I think illustrates the stuff that I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Whenever you have a real deep dive uh, by an artist or educator or anybody into the idea of evil, then you find a lot of humanity. And, you you know, it's a... One thing that I really love, I have a 13 tattooed on me. I love how the graffiti artists do that Friday the 13th free or cheap tattoos thing. Uh, you know, um, And I was talking to one of the artists about why they do that. And they say that they were considered evil for a very long time. People thought they were evil and associated satanic stuff and other scary things with them. So they decided to embrace it and show that it wasn't a thing that you should be afraid of. And I was hip to this idea that really messed me up is like when you look at biblical numerology, which, you know, to each his own about the uh, numerology thing and how you feel about that. But the idea of the number six being the devilish mark of the beast, all that kind of stuff, and the number seven being the divine and the godly and all that. And when you have the number 13, everybody's afraid of the number 13, but 13 is just six and seven. It's the divine and the flawed. It's us. Mm-hmm. And it's really ill to me that as a society in, in the West here, we have buildings all around the city that don't have 13th floors because people are so afraid of being real. Yeah. Yeah, that 13th floor thing. Right? That's so wild to me. Are, now, that's a question. Are most Do most buildings not? I'm going to pay attention next time. I don't time know if it's the, most. Yeah. I know there's like... Wait, it's not like just one or two outliers. Yeah. It's like there are a lot of buildings. And I know in New York it's the case. And I know it's a thing in um, a lot of the West and uh, definitely in America. But I know many other countries don't have that issue. Yeah. It's interesting. Probably back to like the Puritan roots of this country, some old... Yeah, I mean, there's there's so much uh, Judeo-Christian... And funny enough, Judeo-Christian misunderstanding that builds up what we have in America. Mm -hmm. It's funny. It's like, man, uh, you try to talk about like separating things. You try to have like a secular kind of conversation, but if you're talking about America and the history of America, you will have to bring in religion. You know, uh, when you look at like, I talk a lot about, you know, race and stuff too in my work. And when you talk about race in America, you have to talk about the descendants of enslaved Africans. You have to talk about black folks and when you talk about that, you got to talk about religion because Christianity is so interwoven into the whole history of everything. Mm-hmm. Again, for good or ill. Yeah. Um, this summer, like I did a play at the National Black Theater and then yeah. I did a five-week intensive called the um, Black Arts Institute. Oh, yeah. And it's interesting because a lot, I was around a lot more black Christians and practicing mm-hmm. Christians and I've always kind of walked away from that a little bit for mm-hmm. um to you probably obvious reasons why like just about the legacy and everything hilariously uh, obvious is also one of my words <laughs> nice <laughs> and it is a good one because I mean you don't know like mm-hmm. so let's talk about obvious actually I well, was just oh but I was just gonna yeah, say you know, it's please, been please, interesting yeah. kind of I've been coming back to it. Like I still believe in losing my religion or finding my, like my own religion. Right. Like that's kind of what I believe. Um, but, uh, yeah. Remembering the positive side of it. Like yeah. that there's, that there is good and bad there. It's not just, it's not binary. Right. It's well, very complex. I mean, 
uh, Christianity was used to right. excuse enslavement of Africans. Mm-hmm. Yet and still, one of the reasons why we dress up nice on Sundays is that's the only day we got to dress up nice. Yeah. One of the reasons why we still have the church is the church is one of the places where activism has happened yeah. in the black community, where we've clothed the sick and needy, where we've fed the hungry, where we've been able to get out there and take care of each other. It's something that, despite any particular misgivings you may have about religion in general or about Christianity in particular, it's a working cog in the black community that we can't excise. And a lot of black artists um, are pulled into art like through the black church. Like that's I was in the choir. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel like most of us musicians who are black have gone through the choir system. That's been a part of the whole thing. Man, Aretha Franklin had what was that one album that she recorded at the church? Another one you're talking about. You know what I'm about. talking about. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Speaking of, didn't she just had a major, there's a major documentary about her, right? Yes, there is a documentary about her. I haven't seen it yet. There's that one and the Toni Morrison one. Or, oh, um, word. I haven't seen, oh, yeah. Toni Morrison. I haven't seen that one. Yeah. Um, I have it. I think I pre-ordered it on Amazon. I heard that one's, you definitely got to check that one out. Well, I mean, talk about nuanced discussion, man. Yeah. Toni Morrison and words. Ugh. Ugh. Yeah. So let's talk about obvious. Yeah, obvious. Obvious is such a funny one. Obvious blew me away. I really didn't expect that one, but it kept coming up. It kept coming up. And one of the funny things is, was I agreed with a lot of the statements uh, in the comments that I read where they used the word obvious. And the thing that I had, my point of contention, wasn't the statement. It was the assumption that everybody understood mm-hmm. that things were obvious. You know, uh, it's assumptions are okay. I don't mind assumptions. Uh, You know, I think that that's a good way to learn. But when we're assuming wise, it tends to be dangerous. And uh, I think that assumption of intention is how obvious got in trouble. And I think it's how a lot of us in our communities, you know, you're talking about you're having a discussion with your friend who's a feminist, but she's also white. And when it comes to a lot of activist spaces, a lot of education spaces, a lot of spaces where people care about stuff, we have this weird assumption that everybody has the same background we do. Right. Everybody's had that same experiences and everybody can get what we're trying to say. And I think that causes us to have a lot of shorthand, which then gets us into trouble. You throw some slang out there. You say something that's an objectionable word, but maybe your community is taken back, but maybe someone doesn't know about it. And then next thing you know, it's a huge thing. It's wild. So obvious as uh, it's dead in that it just doesn't describe what we think it describes. And it sets us up for a lot of failure. It's a shame. I would love for things to be obvious because it would make my day easier. That also was making me think um, sometimes I've been learning to (laughs) I've been working on speaking my truth more (laughs) and that was one of the things this summer realizing like and there's like a play that I'm writing and it was missing something and essentially like in a in a way it was missing me yeah i was writing like this piece sort of kind of thinking commercially and so what i was doing i think was trying to write what i thought other people would maybe want yeah and 
so like it's missing the story basically um the concepts there but it's like missing the the heart um so that's like one and so that's like specifically that. like yeah put the black experience in there like put the political side of me in there not that mm-hmm. it has to be a political play but actually tell the truth about the thing tell the truth basically yeah. so that's by the way that's also one of my truths yeah you've just been uh, i'm like did you write this show <laughs> you've been pulling them on out there well because it's related to obvious in that mm-hmm. in the same way that you're saying you know it's hard to determine and discern what the truth is like a fundamental truth when we all have these things that are obvious to ourselves we always have these shells that we live in about these things when it's funny you know people often talk about like you live in a bubble and you live in, and i'm like i live in new york city i don't live in no bubble i got everybody from everywhere with their armpit in my face on the subway at 7 a.m but the types of bubbles or cones that we live in are these personal ideological ones where even when we have stimuli around us we take in these words and these phrases very differently. So when you say truth to me and you're talking about your thing, I might be thinking about what I believe is true. And what that does is that means I push aside. And I've seen this in conversations. I've probably done this. I'm sure I've done this in conversations. I push aside all of the stuff that you and I don't vibe on. And I create this false connection based on the parts that I think are true. Rather than us being able to have a fuller discussion, which really reaches what our shared truth is. Mm -hmm. Because that's the tough thing. I've been there with you where it's like, I want to write for audiences. You can't just write for yourself, right? Right. That's just like masturbatory. You're just like, you know, speaking to your shoes. If you want to talk to people, you got to talk to people. But creating the reason why they would want to get down, that's just, again, you talking to you. And like making up a not you to talk to. We're making imaginary friends. Right. Which which we do when we write also. Like, you know, we, like, you can't not write yourself also. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, well, I'm just saying, like, it, it has to be both. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, there was something, like, missing. And then the other thing about, like, the obvious thing, it's, like, about, I think sometimes people, a lot of times, actually, so this is, like, the flip side of obvious, a lot of people, so particularly for artists, a lot of people don't fully explore their expression, don't fully put out what they have inside of them because like maybe you think, oh, it's been done before Mm -hmm. or it's been done better before. Like that's a big Mm -hmm. one. Um, It's it's too obvious. You know, somebody's already said the thing that I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. And the problem with that is that then you don't put that thing out there. Yep. And maybe that thing wouldn't, uh, maybe that thing wouldn't go viral. Mm-hmm. Maybe that thing wouldn't, you know, get you millions of sales online or, or, you know, what was before online analog, you know, whatever. But maybe one person who's also like heard that same message or that same idea like they've heard it before they've heard it many times before maybe the way that you say it actually like connects with them and they actually like learn the lesson there um so you saying it is still valuable and a lot of times we don't yeah we don't live up to our own potential 
because we think it's already been done. No, I love that. One thing that I've been keeping as a mantra in my head, because I'm that cat. I'm, I have major imposter syndrome, and I'd be like, you know, other people are doing stuff, so I, you know, I should hang back. I don't, shouldn't try to like, push my voice out there. And what I've learned is that the things that you work on, the things that you have expertise in, the things that you care about, if you don't share them, then worse people will. Yeah. People who do not have the expertise, people who do not care as much, people who are just like, oh, there's a space. Let me fill it. And the thing that you care about, the industry or vibe or art or whatever, will get worse by these people who care less than you do. So even if you don't want to make it about you, understand that you're making about the thing that you care about, the people that you care about. And you have to push yourself to do these things. I say this without being an expert in that because no, I'm with it as I say it to you I'm reminding myself make sure you do that yeah you know but it's like but that's I think the thing I think I was trying to say about sharing my truth it's actually it's really simple and this has been kind of my mantra mm-hmm. lately is uh to show up yes to show up like just that's like half the battle like and keep showing up mm-hmm and then, like, if you miss a day, show up tomorrow. Like, show up right now. Like, don't let, you know what I mean? Don't. Yeah. What's the environmentalist thing? Uh, I, I love the phrase where they go, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is now. Right. And you're like, word. Yeah. Let's not get caught up on the 20 years ago thing. Yeah. It's uh, For MCs, it's I'm a very slow writer. When I write plays, oh, man, I'll be editing myself to death. So I freestyle a lot because that's a thing where I just can't be bothered with worrying about what happens. You can't worry about what happened before. You just got to do something next and keep on moving. So how did, uh, how did freestyling, how did, how did uh, you come to performing and, and writing? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, my mom was a singer. Uh, not Really professionally, she thought the industry was dirty and everybody wanted to have sex with you and it's crazy. She still thinks it's like, it's wild that I'm doing all this stuff. So I had that in the house, lots of music, lots of sounds and stuff like that. And I tried to sing. I had a little R&B group. You know, when I was younger, we were terrible. But I liked performing. And I got on stage in high school, I think my senior year of high school. And I acted in, or maybe junior, something like that. I acted in The Sound of Music. My mom wouldn't let me play any of the Nazis. She said, if they cast you as a Nazi, you you know, you can't be the black Jewish kid being a Nazi. But we were in the Virgin Islands where, like, everybody was a person of color. So whatever. Anyway, uh, so I did it. It was a great performance thing, and I had a lot of fun and decided I wanted to major in acting. And I came up to New York to do acting. And at the same time, I had written a rap. I wrote one rap. And I told my friend that I was in an acting class with. And he said, you know, I got a rap group. I was like, Really? So yeah, it came down uh, this uh, middle part of the island and there was one dude who had a karaoke machine hooked up to a mic because, you know, that's how we could get it done there. And I spit a verse and he was like, you want to record that? Let's record it. And I made a song with them that day and I moved up to New York and I didn't really love theater in New York because most theater felt like TV on stage. Mm. I feel like theater needs... there needs to be a reason why the audience has to be there. If it's the same exact thing, no matter who's in front of you, then why are we doing this multiple times? So I wasn't really feeling theater as much. It was messing with my whole mojo and wanting to come up here until I realized these cats rapping on street corners, these ciphers that were going on, these battles and all of that, that was theater. 
that was the this ever Shakespeare in the Park. So I got heavily involved in that, and I met a lady named Claudia Alec, who uh, ran the Green Show, the Oregon Shakespeare Festival, for a long time. And she was like, have you ever heard of hip-hop theater? And I was like, oh, the two, two things I do. And she put me in a play. Man, it, this play was hard. I, the beginning, the opening moments of the play, I rape a 60-year-old woman in the front of the stage, and then I find out she's my old teacher, who quit teaching because they weren't paying her enough, and I quit school because she quit teaching, and then we rap together, and then she shoots me. Which <laughs> was a lot and kind of heavy. But it was uh, great to be introduced to the world of hip-hop theater and to be able to see how I could take all of those things. And I started teaching and doing education work based because you know I didn't like school, so I should share what I do like about learning. And one day a friend of mine came to me and said, hey, you know all this rapping, teaching, and, uh, and, and, and theater you do? You know all that's just talking. I was like, oh, yeah, I guess that is just talking. Why don't you do it all at once? And I made a one-man show that was a rap album and uh, educational experience. It was about me growing up mixed race. My mom is black. My dad is uh, Jewish white. And uh, it's a very similar mix to me too, actually. Yeah, yeah. black Jews. Nice. <laughs> um, when uh, I did a show called Square Peg Syndrome, where it was about a race riot, it's a true story race riot at the school that I was in, and the whole time I'm talking back to talking back to the audience as they're my guidance counselor in detention, and I would erupt into rap song. I made that a six-week curriculum about identity and literacy, and I brought that back home to the Virgin Islands and brought that all around the country. And that kind of got me on my path. What was the name of that one? Square Peg Syndrome. The music from that is all available online. Mm-hmm. And uh, it got me, I, I realized, you know, when you're talking about like, oh, other people have done stuff. It's great if other people have done stuff. If other people have done stuff and you're satisfied with what they're doing, what is your angle? Like you're saying about your truth. Like what is, what is your perspective that you can provide that would create a clearer picture? And I realized through that methodology, I was able to translate how I felt about things in a way that people connected to. People who were mixed race or people who had other sorts of mixed identities or identities where people were trying to fit them into boxes they didn't belong in. They really related to the record. And I realized, because you know, you don't make art for everybody. You don't make anything right. for everybody. Uh, I realized this was the thing that I could make where I had the expertise and experience and understanding and I guess empathy really, because I mean, that's what all of this is about, inspiring empathy, to be able to put together something that other folks could relate to. So I've been vibing on that ever since. Nice. Cool. Yeah. And then here we are. And here we are. Museum of the Dead. Yeah. Starting, or sorry, Museum of Dead Words. Yes. Starting. Because I guess Museum of the Dead would be most museums. Right. (laughs) That's true. Yeah, and like I'm saying, it really feels like a, a, a life's work type of thing because all of the stuff that I've been dealing with uh, in terms of ethnicity, literacy, identity, empathy, communication, how we deal with each other, this is the fundamental piece that has probably been missing from a lot of my work. This is one of those things where I'll put together something and be like, it's obvious. People should understand this. It's like uh, I work with a lot of cats who are statisticians, and they're like, well, the stats don't lie. It's not that stats lie. It's that people's experience and interpretation of them are going to be vastly different. And we can't be prepared for that. Yeah, stats don't lie, but they don't tell the story. Mm-hmm. And people will put any kind of story on that. Man, I saw this Instagram comment where it was talking about the um, wealth of women of different ethnicities. 
Funny enough, they got the stats wrong, but also, but it, the stats were close enough to reality. And basically, uh, black women had the least, Hispanic women had slightly more than them, and white women had vastly more. And the first sentence they said was, everybody knows that black women looks good from head to toe and are very flattering, but they don't pay attention to their money. And I was like, where is that in the stat? Right. That's, that's, you, just, that, you just made up a whole story. Right. You invented entire people off of just a number. Not understanding all of the factors involved. And, and that, that's the next thing. It's like when we're not experts, man, we're so smart. We outsmart ourselves all the time. And I think that's one of the real big problems of it is we outsmart ourselves and we start creating rationalizations for why things happen rather than doing further research. Yeah. That's, I think, also a way that like a, a great way to be able to grow and get good at something. We were talking about that earlier, just about how some people just can pick things up right away and are pretty good. Yeah. Um, and for the most, like, so that guy that can do that though, there's still years of work that he did to be able to do that. Like, and that's within his field. I think, um, the way we get better at things. Cause also like, if you are naturally good at something, sometimes you don't, you don't live work a, at it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a good way to actually grow and get good at things is to keep a beginner's mind, mm-hmm. no matter like your previous experience. It's like right now, what can I learn? Yo, most of the best cats I know, that's how they live and that's how they vibe. And they will ask the simplest questions in the symposium. You'd be sitting there being like, oh, this is so basic. I know all of this stuff. And this person with all of this expertise and all these accolades would be like, hey, what about that third thing? Yeah, and I've learned to do, that's something I've definitely learned to do in like class or like group settings is ask the obvious question Mm -hmm. because sometimes they said it and you uh, spaced out or something Mm -hmm. for a second, which probably somebody else did also because for whatever reason, they didn't captivate your attention at that time Mm -hmm. Um, or they didn't really explain a key piece yeah. and I've moved on to the next thing because they thought that key piece was obvious because they were, you know what I mean? They're exactly. Yeah. So, okay. I get, get the obvious. <laughs> right. It's, man. One of the funny things about these words is, and like, also like when just, yeah, yeah. when you're sitting there in a thing like that, if you miss that piece also, it can like, you, you won't necessarily hear everything else yeah. coming because you're just still caught up on, you know, like hopefully they're going to, so you're not really listening. But exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what I was going to say is like, it's really funny. Once you start becoming aware of this type of thing, you kind of see it everywhere. There's a name for that. Uh, some, some sort of effect. I'm right. Care. It's like, it's like deja vu. Yes. But it's, uh, I know. I don't know the word. <laughs> Dang it. The lost words. The lost words. That, that can be the sequel. Yeah. Lost words. You know, that's one thing um, I've been trying to do in the show also is pepper in, because I'm a big word fan. I mean, being a rapper, I like words, uh, clearly. But I guess that might not be obvious either. <laughs> Some folks, you know. But uh, I try to pepper in fun words that don't get used enough. Uh, one of my favorites is, this is actually my third rap song that I ever did that that same rap group on St. Croix put together called Sesco Pedalion means the love of big words. And of course, it's a giant winding word that means the love of big words. It's yeah. really fun. Yeah. And we should enjoy that. We should have fun with words. Words are great. The, sil- the syllabic smacking together stuff that 
goes to create words and phrases is so interesting. We forget often that it comes from rhythm. It comes from the drum. You know, that's one of the reasons why I like using rap. I mean, it's what I do by trade, but why I think rap is an excellent medium for this show in particular is that rhythm and tone are everything. You may not know what I'm talking about if I speak a different language, but you will know how I feel mm-hmm. by the way it sounds. Mm-hmm. And I've had many situations like that where I was able to communicate with someone who didn't speak my language because of the way that we were listening. Yeah. Yeah. It's like surprising how much you can communicate without language. Like if you're in a place, like if you're traveling and don't speak the language, you can still communicate most most of the important things. Yeah. Language ostensibly it's another fun word i like to use uh it supposedly is making things easier making it easier to communicate making it easier to get along but the problem is that a lot of people and a lot of times i think that it's for their own personal benefit to the detriment of others they will purposefully obfuscate things or another fun word they will like make things blurrier yeah or more confusing because that benefits them and they get to come out on top that reminds me the scandal, well, one of the many scandals, but yesterday uh, somebody in the Trump administration was getting grilled about the truth Ooh. and they straight up played video of him lying and then asked him, well, if we know this to be true now, yet you said you didn't, but there's the video, like there's the video of you admitting <sighs> to it and he's just straight up like, yeah, I don't remember that, like the way he was evading yeah, it was. It's crazy. Yo, language is tricky, man. Run DMC was right. Language is tricky, and that's exactly what I mean about truth. Is that it's an okie doke. Truth is supposed to be a thing where we all agree and we all understand each other. And yet, and still, this person in a position of power will be able to be like, "Yeah, video evidence? No, wasn't me, Shaggy." Yeah, it's crazy. Uh. Speaking of language and communication and it meaning to be easy or make communication easier. Mm-hmm. I remember like I did a play that was a collaborate collaboration with a South African acting group. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember why, but there was one day that I remember where they were kind of having a meeting just like with themselves in English though. I mean, they spoke all of them spoke like at least seven languages but they were having a, a conversation and like a group conversation. Their use of the English language was so much more clear and precise than our <laughs> slang ass. Yes. I'm trying to not like and um as much and I'm acutely aware of it as I do this podcast. Right. But listening to them speak and debate it was just so clear. Whereas I feel like a lot of times in group conversations or group debates that I have here, it depends, you know, it depends on the group. There's different levels, but a lot of time there's time wasted Mm -hmm. of people arguing over semantics when they're actually saying the same thing, but can't understand each other. Again, this is the essence of my whole thing. Although I will say I personally don't have a problem with likes and ums because those are rhythm markers. 
you're trying to maintain the pace and the feeling of what you're saying and doing. So your mind is like, well, while I'm working on this next part, let me throw that in there. I know we're often taught not to use them because they're supposedly markers of someone who's of low intelligence or not quick to think. But I don't think that they're as, as bad as a lot of heads put there. Obama used them a lot. Um's in particular. That's true. So I do think they're, it's better to um and then think about what you're actually mean when exactly. you speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would rather um and then a collected sentence rather than just some word salad. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, of course, uh, what's that famous poem? Uh, Taylor, Taylor McFerrin? Did you do that? No, Taylor Molly, maybe. Yes, I think Taylor Molly. Like Lily, like Wilson? I don't know. Oh, you got to check this out. It's about a teacher who has a student, Lily Wilson, who uses like all the time in her verbiage. And it's a whole thing about the rhythm and about what we do understand. Yes, I think it's Molly. One of the Taylors. You also reminded me of a quote, and I've been trying to track it down for a while. So let me, let me know if this rings a bell. Ooh. It's about something about that great people or good people... Um, like the this is like the scent of humanity or whatever mm-hmm. that like most of the great people or good people lack conviction and that the the like selfish people or something they they're like full of yeah i can't remember how this i know goes. i know what you're talking about it's one where uh i i know it's uh it, they use men it's good men lack conviction i know that that's yeah. part of the the yeah. phrase uh well i mean but that's really true and well, right. And then to make it a little more clear than like good versus bad, again, talking right. like the evil thing is oftentimes people with intention who are aware and uh, cognizant of other people's feelings, they have something that doesn't sound as solid because they're trying to give room to other folks. And that often sounds weak. Yeah. That's, you know, the kindness for weakness thing also. And I think um, the whole like liberal vibe is often, well, are you sure of the things you want? And it's like, well, yeah, I'm sure of the things that I want, but I also want to make sure that these other 30 people who want different things from me can also get by. So I'm not trying to stomp on any toes. When you are selfish in intent, then it's very easy to be like, I want A. No compromises. We're getting A. And that sounds beautiful because it sounds powerful. And people are attracted to that. And also, I mean... It'd make life easier if everybody just got out of the way and gave me that thing I wanted and I didn't have to worry about what they had to. That's what's so frustrating, though, like right now, like with like the presidential election and just Mm -hmm. the politics in this country. In particular, my frustration with like the DNC and the Democrats, and I have this debate all the time, is that... Yeah, like the Democrats tend to always do that thing that we're talking about. They always acquiesce Mm -hmm. to the point where I'm having debates with other people with similar progressive ideas as me who are like, no, but we can't actually campaign on progressive things. We have to be centrist in order to win. But it's like for me, I'm like, what are we winning if we're not even going for what we want like it's impossible to win that way right yeah if if you're not going for what you want then you're not going to get what you want yeah i i think most of us have been there uh it's like the sitcom episode where the character likes another person and then they end up being a part of their campaign or their club and next thing they know uh, it's greece 
That's that's the whole point of Greece, right? Is that these guys try to be different for each other and they realize that you no know, just be themselves. I've long felt if you fake it till you make it, then even after you've made it, you're fake. So Yeah. That's what's the point of any of this. Yeah. Yeah, that's been an interesting little thing for me. Like, uh so you like do you still do like, do you audition for plays and stuff? Like, do you do conventional acting? Too? So, talking about this, you know, this has been a difficult thing for me. But I've stopped auditioning. And my reasoning behind it is I don't think that I'm able to affect change in the way I wanted to as a performer of other people's scripts. Uh, for people who are not watching, I'm mixed race, like I said, but I oftentimes can pass for white very easily and there was this thing when i first moved up here and they're like oh this caribbean black light skin i don't know what to do with you and i would get these audition uh responses from casting directors who are like i really loved you but the family is a different shade and i'm like my family's a different shade that's what black families look like i literally used to bring in pictures of my relatives to show them like the breadth of the black family and that's kind of why i started writing so that i could share more of that and then i realized that the tone had shifted there's like this light-skinned or uh, ambiguous vibe that over the last like eight or so years has really been prevalent and very popular and my breaking point was when man i forget the company it was like a a gap or a deed no it wasn't a deed so it was like a gap type of place maybe a gap sorry if I'm, i'm putting you out there and this wasn't actually you but some clothing company that was like a white establishment group wanted a rapper for one of their ad campaigns. And they wanted an indie rapper, not a famous one. And it said on the audition call sheet, no old school, no African-Americans. Yeah. Yeah, the the face that uh, Alec just made is the one that you're assuming or that you just made yourself. And I sent him an email and I was like, wait, what? You know, by the way, I'm white passing, but I am a black American, so am I what you want? Am I not? Why are you doing this? And they said, why don't you come in? I came in and everybody was passing the buck. Nobody. They were like, what? Really? I I don't know. I don't know why they said that. It was the funniest thing because it was me and like 30 Abercrombie models. Uh, My favorite part is when I got up to the photographer, he said, all right, now um, make a look like you know how to rap. And the whole place erupted in laughter because... I look like I can rap because I'm a rapper. Right. <laughs> and it just, I, I saw myself in a place where like, I felt like I couldn't win. And if I had a lot of success in this area, then it was going to be hurting and taking away the voices of people who have less voice than me. And, you know, this is what you say about, you know, the acquiesce thing. And what I've decided for myself is that I'm not really acquiescing to the power structure here. I'm finding other angles and avenues where I can create opportunities. And this is why I'm still performing and doing my art, but I haven't been going on auditions. I can't say that that's always going to be the case. Maybe if the landscape feels different. Uh, I certainly work with friends when they hit me up and they're like, oh, I have something I think that you'd be good for. And I've done a lot of things like that. But I just, I feel such sadness when I see, what was the movie that had a light-skinned Harriet Tubman it was like some sci-fi movie. It was a silly movie, but like Harriet Tubman came out and she was my complexion. Well, they also did the light-skinned uh, Nina Simone movie. The Nina Simone. That uh, was... Was that, was that Megan Good? Uh, no, it was uh, Zoe. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Zoe yeah. Saldana. Zoe yeah. Saldana. 
Um, yeah, because I, I think Megan is darker than her. And but, this, and well, that was an interesting one because a white woman directed that, and I read, I've read some of the things, and I don't, I don't know her whole story, right, right. But to me, first of all, you have to have black people in the decision room on that movie, mm-hmm. specifically with Nina Simone, specifically because that's part of her whole like her music and her story mm-hmm. race is like the that's like the one of the central issues that we're mm-hmm. dealing with and that's what she addressed in her music um but it seems to me like this white woman director being a white woman and understanding the struggle of being a woman mm-hmm. but then not listening to the voices of others who had to have advised, mm-hmm. um, like what was obvious, like what was, there we go, obvious, yeah, but like just not a good choice. And then I still, I haven't seen the movie, yeah, I, I haven't watched it, um, but it's what you're saying about like what's obvious in one community is right. not obvious, like even this simple distinction between black artists and white artists who have worked together. I bet they know each other for years, you know, and they're homies and all that. But oftentimes, I've found uh, non black creators will cast a black role and say, Oh, you're black, so that's black, which I, I feel you to your understanding. But colorism is so insidious in our community and especially in our art. I remember being light skinned, wondering if I had some sort of gender dysmorphia because on TV, all the dudes were black and their women were super light skinned. You know, I love Sidney Poitier. He's like one of the great guys and great directors and all that. But all of the black women that you saw in his pieces are super light skinned. And I mean, it's it's wild the way that even in things like Malcolm X where Malcolm X was light skinned and they cast a darker man Denzel because a darker man is more resolute more powerful and all those things there's all of these little pieces of nuance that most people miss if they're not a part of it you know some of it like it's like kind of like watching a cop show with a cop and they're like they don't do that and they don't do that and they miss the important parts because that cop knows that that specific thing that they're not doing right invalidates the entire thing that's happening mm-hmm. it messes it all up and that's the thing it's like nina simone great let's do stuff about nina simone she's amazing but when you have somebody who's lighter skinned especially with nina simone then you're denying a huge part of what she had to go through to be who she was and it's that was just a whole crazy thing because zoe saldana also mixed and she but she's the type of mixed person who before has said things to the effect kind of to the effect of like race not mattering (laughs) right right. you know what i mean and i don't know i don't know where she stands now and again everybody has their own perspective and and that's a complicated thing too like like the roles that i have to go to and like where's the line as -hmm. far as like you know, yeah, if it's black, if it's ethnically ambiguous, um, then like Latin X, because that's right. not a race. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, well, and it, that's the black, Latin, white, white Latin thing that's been popping mm-hmm. up. And, you know, coming from a place next to a lot of Latin countries, I know a lot of folks who do, it doesn't even matter what skin color they are, they will say, I remember I have a friend who's from Colombia, and she said her mom said, We're white because we have money and it had nothing to do with their complexion. 
And so there's all of that stuff and that mess going around. Yeah. But we can go. I mean, yeah, yeah. That, that's that's a whole next thing. Yeah. About, uh, yeah. Oh, color and colorism. I, You know, I, the thing that I think I, I want to say about this is it would be amazing for it not to matter. Right. I would love for it not to matter. And the thing that people like you and me who talk about this a lot in our, our in our personal lives, people go, why are you so hung up on it? Why are you so fixed, fixated upon it? Because it won't go away. You've decided to ignore it. And good for you, I guess, mm-hmm. but I can't. Right. And it's specifically because I'm light skinned that I know I can't because I got darker skin cousins and I'm just now as a grown man realizing that I had aunts who encouraged me in, in ways that they didn't encourage some of my other cousins. And I think that it's part and parcel of my light skin privilege to be able to share these things and to make this important stuff so that I can help out other folks who don't share that same privilege. That's like my responsibility. People often talk about like what personal responsibility is, and I like to break it down, your ability to respond. What can you do about it? If you can do something about it, then let's do something about it. And all of us who talk about it, we would love for there to be no race. There's no real race. Biologically, that's nonsense. Phenotype right. is like the littlest thing that separates us as humans. So, yeah, we would love to not see color and to live in a world where everybody content, all, the, all that stuff. But until we get there, we have to talk about it. And again, to not get too pluggy, but like that's the point of what I do with my work in general and with this show is that we have these conversations, get deep in these conversations, even, you know, get angry and sad and feel hurt and all that stuff and go through the trauma that, you know, other folks have already gone through, that we can share stuff and create a real human experience so that we can have a combined truth that we all share. Yep. Well, that sounds like a good button right there. Um, <laughs> what's the best place for people to like uh, follow you online? So, yeah, I've got dialect.com. That's D-Y-A-L-E-K-T. I'm a 90s kid, so it's a Y instead of an I and a K instead of a C. And uh, it's at dialect spelled like that on Instagram at dialect raps on Twitter where I rap at people and you can probably find me on some kind of street corner ciphering. The Museum of Dead Words will be presented at Art Apple NYC that is on decalb right off the M train, the Central Avenue stop. So come and check that out. We're open during uh during Bushwick Open Studios. We'll be open for another week. And yeah, that's I think that's all the ways to find me. You can find the music online. Uh, weirdly enough, there's a whole another story. Um, Spotify actually took down my album because I'm doing too well, and they suspect that I am, have created a bot to make more plays. And I was like, I don't even know how to do that. I would have done that, sure. No, I would. I probably wouldn't have done that. I'm too. I don't know how to do that, and don't have the energy for it. But whatever. Yeah. So find me other places than that. And hopefully it'll be back. Hopefully it'll be back up because, hey, Spotify guys, if you're listening, I didn't invent a bot to, to do that because I don't know how or pay anyone to do that because I don't have money in the budget for that. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you have anything else you want to talk about? Oh, this is great, man. Uh, thank you. You really dug into a lot of the nooks and crannies of the stuff that we're doing and lots of really great stuff about art that, man, I could talk to you forever about, man. Well, we can, you know, we can do it again, too. Sure, um, in sure, the future. sure. We'd love we to. definitely sit down again. I've had a lot of fun here. This has been great. Likewise. Um, do you have any final thoughts? Uh, what is my final thought? I'll, I'll leave you with a line from uh, the show, from one of the songs. This is one that's really important to me, is 
You got to preach to the choir so they know what to sing. Mm. Yeah. Like it. Gotcha. Thank you, bro. Thank you. So that was my conversation with MC Dialect talking about his new project, The Museum of Dead Words, available on all platforms right now. Um, and you can see it live here in Bushwick at Art Apple NYC. This weekend, this Saturday is the opening night. That's September 21st. And it's running every day through next Friday. Or next, yeah, next Friday, the 27th is the closing night party. Um, but there's events every night, um, live performance and panels, as he said. I uh, also wanted to share with you the quote. Um, it was a William Butler Yeats quote. And it's from The Second Coming, which was written right after World War One. And it says, the best lack all conviction while the worst are full of passionate intensity. So just think about that. Um, definitely check out the show if you are in the New York area, come to Bushwick and see the Museum of Dead Words. It's happening all week. Um, check out the album available on all platforms. Download that, support that. And the links to all of these things will be in the show notes for this episode. So you can find and follow dialect there thank you very much for listening i hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as i enjoyed talking with him and i hope it inspired you to pursue or get back at whatever the thing is that's calling you in your heart and if you are like me and like a lot of us and you uh beat yourself up sometimes like if you feel like you're falling short or not doing all the things you should do don't be so hard on yourself and just get back to the work that makes you sing. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed that, please subscribe, rate, review, share all of that, um, and let us know what you think. Thank you very much. Have a good one. Peace.